With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to The Dakum Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. I'm Mike dropping by to recap an absolutely astonishing Sunday of football, Mike. Goodness me, there is a lot to talk about. I'm sure you all know where we're going to lead off. Getting into that shortly. Before we check in with Iron Mike, though, quick bit of housekeeping. A brand new episode of the show dropping this weekend. An Atkum Show Edge Rush. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. I'll be dropping into your podcatcher of choice Saturday mornings with some steers and picks for the weekend's action. Kimberly Martin from ESPN is dropping by later on this week to preview week 11 with us. So looking forward to that. But without further ado, let's get straight down to business and check in with the one, the only, Iron Mike. Iron Mike, good to see you. One or two things to get, get into. There's only one place we can start, of course, and that is Ohio and the thriller between the Browns and the Texans. <laughs> Come on, chilla, let's do 30 minutes on that. in Manila. Um, I actually, on the show, on, on whatever it was, Friday, uh, the preview show, I said, one thing I know about this game, it's going to be a lot of points. This is going to be a shootout. No, you know, I, I, I had, I had a, a good enough week so far picking straight up, but of course, the spreads were absolutely crazy. Mm. Um, and the people who had had Cleveland with four died when, when Nick Chug decided not to score a touchdown. Oh boy. Exactly. Yeah. What, that an, was a- what an ending to a perfect day. Um, but you know, <laughs> but I knew this game was going going under, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could just see it. And even though it would have been nice for Duke Johnson to get his revenge against the Browns, those are the old Browns. These are the new Browns. And that was the old Houston. And this is the new Houston. And to be honest, they gave Deshaun Watson such a bump at the, at the start of the show. Um, you know, how he was, the, you know, one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the league, blah, blah, blah. Houston is someday going to look back and say they wasted a great talent in Deshaun Watson. Hey, I was kidding. We don't have to start with this game. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's it's a great place to start. You know, and, and yeah, we, it's a great point you make about it, we can we point. can write it off. Um, you know, right now, if you that's yeah, it. We've, pre- we've, we've pretty much said everything. The best my my highlight from the game, apart from Nick Chubb not scoring, scoring the touchdown, which I thought was great, and Kareem Hunt played really well. As, so in, Messi's you know, not doing it. He he didn't do a girly. I think is what what was to say. Yeah, yeah. He, and he knew, you know, and and you'd think maybe maybe after you know such a long run that he would forget forget the message because apparently they'd had the message in the in the huddle. Um, but my other favorite moment of that was Kai Fairbairn punting mm. on a fake field goal. Yes. Which was a real CFL move. <laughs> so, you Love know, that. it would have worked, worked great for Houston if there'd been a 25-yard end zone and he could have <laughs> kicked it in and got a single for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. On that with the crazy weather as well, Oli, our producer, was saying, what's wrong with this over line? Well, this, you know, the over-under line, the totals line seems really, really low. And I sent him a screen grab of gale force winds in Ohio, yeah. <laughs> thunderstorms. Yeah, that explains that. It's one of those things when games are being played in, in the north of the U.S. Mm. in particular. But, I mean, it's worth checking, you know, anyway. But be very careful this time of year and, and check the weather reports before you before you kind of put your bets down on over-unders and spreads and things like that. Because, you know, we saw it in a few games this weekend that the weather can really have a, have a big effect on the game. Uh, okay, kids, you heard it here first on that one. And uh, I'm sure Ollie is scribbling notes down much as uh, uh, he likes the odd punt, uh, supposedly. Let's get down to, to business there. <laughs> so does <laughs> Kai Fairbairn. <laughs> so does Kai Fairbairn. <laughs> the incredible ending. In what a, the yeah. <laughs> It was, I mean, where to start? I mean, it's a catch for the ages, obviously an incredible piece of athleticism from Hopkins. But Mike, I want to deep dive into the, the technical aspect of Hail Mary's, the, the, the history and the chronology. Because you look at the numbers and around 8%, roughly 8 and change, of Hail Mary's end up 
in a touchdown. I want to break this one down in particular. So how much of this was entirely down to Hopkins and how much of it was on Murray and how much was on the Bills making a mistake trying to defend it? I've been thinking about this, <laughs> you know, um, not all night, right. but, but since I woke up in the morning, I think it might wow. be the best tail Mary I've ever seen. Um, and I, I suppose, you know, I, I don't go back and I, I can't think of everyone I've ever seen in the NFL, but the, but the Aaron Rodgers one to, um, to Richard Rodgers mm-hmm. was a great one. And, and the Jacksonville one where the ball was tipped back. And then caught by I think it was Michael Thomas, the little the little receiver who who sort of scooped it up. The defensive back knocked it down, but but he scooped it up on like the three yard line and dove in for the score. And that was kind of a fluke one, but it was great. Mm. This one to me is equal, if not better, to the Doug Flutie Hail Mary for Boston College against the U at the end of the season that got that got Flutie the Heisman Trophy. Right. Um, and it's very similar in a way. But Kyler Murray, Flutie makes time for himself by, by spinning out of the rush. And then he throws the ball, I would guess, close to 60 yards in the air, um, if I remember right. Murray does even better because he really should have been tackled. Yeah. Um, he really had to you know, get out of a sack, and he did. And then he doesn't throw the ball quite so far. I, I, I suppose it was about a 50-55 about a yard throw in the end. But he puts it up there. And normally, if you don't have a play designed for it, it's a very hard thing to have a play designed for it. You have to count on the defenders making a mistake mm. or your player making a great play. Now, in Flutie's case, the Miami defenders um, – there were two of them on Gerald Phelan who made the catch, but they both were in front of him and went for the interception and Flutie put it over their heads. Basically he put it right into Jared Phelan's belly. This one, there were three defenders there. Tredavious White had him and was fronting him. Micah Hyde, the safety was behind him and Jordan Poyer, when he saw the ball go came over um, to make it a third defender, and he nearly got it. And this mm. was basically down to Hopkins making a play. And, you know, it wasn't a ridiculous catch like, Ty- like uh, David Tyree say in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It was a hands catch. Mm-hmm. When you heard him after the game talking about it, he was talking about it like it was a rebounded basketball. He wanted to high point ball he got it at that point you know when he was up at the top of his jump with his hands and he's got big hands big Mm -hmm. huge hands he is i said this i think on this show at some point when maybe maybe even before the season when we were talking about the houston trade hopkins to me is the pass catcher in the league um when you throw a ball up a 50 50 ball i think he's got hits a 70 30 ball with him or an 80 20 ball with him and and he just made a fantastic catch um with in being triple teamed you know poyer had a good shot that ball tredavious white had a shot the ball hyde was was you know almost sitting on his back (laughs) and he just he got it in his hands and it wasn't coming out what's the key to the throw because looking at a similar to you and I guess to you know, all of our listeners and NFL fans around the world, it was an extraordinary end to the game and been obsessed with it ever since. Looking back at the art of the Hail Mary, reading up on it, and you mentioned Aaron Rodgers in particular in terms of contemporary quarterbacks amongst the finest in terms of executing. Andy Dalton, incidentally, he's, he's got a few in his uh, back catalogue as well. Um, and reading what Rodgers was saying, he said two things in particular. The arc is key, right? Uh, right. And also... The danger is you're going to overthrow it. The danger is you can shoot it out of the back of the, you almost try too hard because you're going for that pop that you can overthrow it and shoot out the back of the end zone. So clearly Hopkins made a hell of a play. What about Murray's throw? It's a great, it's a great throw because I think, you know, that, that's really good, that quote from Rodgers, because what you're trying to do is to give your guy a chance to make a play. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't put it in on his hands or whatever, but what you want to do is give him a chance to get his position and get up in the air and make a play, and to do that, you do need to put arc on the ball. You know, so everybody is then looking at the ball coming down and boxing out or jumping over. You think of like Brady's uh, Hail Mary to Gronk at the end of the Super Bowl against the Eagles. You know that they're not going to call defenders for jumping on top of you when you right. all look up for the ball. But all you can do is put the ball up there. 
knowing that's the case. So it really is what you're doing. What you're doing, if you do your job properly, is giving the receiver a chance to make a play. You know, some teams will put a couple of guys in there. Um, the Patriots, if you remember that play, had Amendola, I think it was, or maybe Edelman, um, like hanging in front of him in case the ball came down, you know, tipped or whatever. There are things you can do, but basically it relies on your receiver making a play, getting a rebound, in fact, in the basketballization of the NFL. Um, this is kind of like the high point of it, literally and figuratively. It, there was a huge amount going on in the game. I mean, outside of, of, of that grandstand finish, you had, of course, just before that, uh, Josh Allen's 12-place, 78-yard scoring drive, which you thought had, had done the deal. You had the Isaiah McKenzie to Allen touchdown. Incidentally, which did you prefer? Did you prefer that, that or was Jacoby great. Myers directs the Wonder Dog? Which was your, which was your favorite? Um, I think the one to Allen was more fun. Um, Jacoby Myers to, to Re Rex was being interfered with. Um, and, and luckily the defensive back let go of him just before the ball got there, but my, and Myers's throw was perfectly weighted. You know, he did what, what you do on, on that kind of a pass. And, and, and you see it from Russell Wilson a lot when he's just kind of throwing it up there into the end zone. Um, you, you let the receiver get under it. Uh, he does this with, with Lockett. He did it this week. He did it um, the week before and wrote Lockett nearly made a fantastic catch. Um, in other words, you put the ball where only the receiver has a shot at it, even if it's not a good shot. And that's what Myers did. And it was a good shot. I mean, it was right where, so Burkhead could, could, was released by the defensive back and, and basically took one step and then was falling um, to make the catch. And it was perfect. But the Isaiah um, McKenzie one, was so much fun uh you know because they were they were looking it, it ran off the previous play so they mm. were looking at it as being um you know a jet sweep end around and then right. alan alan barely caught it <laughs> and then <laughs> and then went in went in looking like you know looking like a geeky tight end uh, <laughs> kind of like a jesse james type you know um Stumbling and, and really, surprised to be there yeah, i mean yeah, it was such fun. That game was just so so much fun um, from from start to finish. Let's talk about the the Cardinals' defense for a bit because I talked about the Allen scoring drive at the, at the end, which was Tex McCallum. He's done this many times before, of course, leading uh, fourth quarter uh, scoring drives to close the game down. And, and you know, in normal circumstances, that's what well, that would I mean, have been, right? I mean, in fairness, um, Ollie Ollie, the producer, raised the point. Um, before we came on, you know, some of the book on Allen is that he can't win big games. Right. And a lot of people are, you know, are going, to, are going to be, um, are going to be putting him down now saying Buffalo's not a playoff team because Allen can't get them the big one. I'm not sure what else he needed to do. Sure. Um, you know, unless he played, they could have sent him in as a defensive back. Um, you know, they <laughs> sure. faced him in the answer and teams do this. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you remember the Patriots with Gronk, Gronk um, yeah. in, against uh, Miami when they mm -hmm. ran the, the multiple. And they blew it. Yeah. But Randy Moss used to play deep safety. Um, you know, um, well, I can leave a couple of other, um, what's his name from the Giants who shot himself. Um, he, Plexico. He, Plexico used to do that. They used to put him, you know, put him as a deep safety. And then he would just track the ball when it was in the air and try to bat it down. And it's a, it's a really good defensive um, technique. But, you know... Josh, um, Allen's, I mean, Josh Allen's got, uh, got the stats in front of me. He's definitely kind of in the top three current quarterbacks for leading game-winning drives in the, in the last couple of years. I mean, that's his thing, right? Well, I, I mean, he just doesn't seem to get much credit for it, I think. Mm. Um, the Bills have lost, you know, a, a number of close games against good teams. Um, and that was the book last year. You know, they lost mm. twice to the Patriots, both times close games, but low scoring games where he wasn't able to. Closing out the key um, ones. But, you know, I, I, I don't think he has anything left to prove in this game. It's kind of like... Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of like blaming Alex Smith because Matt Prater hit a sixty-nine, yard, uh, sorry, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, um, fifty-nine yard field goal yeah, to, yeah. To, to win the game. You know, uh, what what else can you do? And and I think you know, the Bills. Arizona is a difficult team, especially at home, mm. because they never look like they're dominating right. you. But, you know, Murray does what Watson has done through his career, what Russell Wilson does. He just finds a way to make a play. 
and and you know you can keep him contained all game, and then he'll come out and make one or two in in the fourth quarter and, and sneak a win, which is basically what they did against Buffalo. I think is sneaking a win. Mike, would give be us your a good way to describe. On, you mentioned. Watson, look at Lamar Jackson, Mahomes. Let's throw those three in there and compare them and their running stars with Kyler Murray. Because, I mean, in terms of aesthetics, of course, you've got the, the legs moving so quickly. He looks like a, a, a tornado. As Tom Deacon was saying, like a cartoon character. On, yeah, on Mur- Murray's the only one who's less than four times bigger than his helmet. <laughs> Other than that, what do they, what do they make? Because you know, blazing speed, of course. But from a defensive point of view, why is it so difficult other than the speed to, to, to stop Murray? Because it seems to just make defenders spin around in circles or kind of whirling dervish. Style. Is that entirely down to the speed or is there more to it? It's that? not just straight ahead speed. It's, it's, he's got incredible short area quickness. Mm. Um, he can change direction um, uh, at a snap. He can, he can spin. He, he's got really good peripheral awareness too, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of, you know, a lot of quarterbacks don't have when they scramble that, that ability to sense guys coming from the side. Um, much like a basketball point guard, um, mm. you know, a really good basketball point guard. And like Russell Wilson, you know, he was a baseball, a professional baseball player or, or not. Well, he wasn't professional, but he was drafted to be, you know, he, he's an athlete um, as well as, as well as a, a skilled quarterback. And, and um, you know, that makes a difference. And it also showed, I think, in the dominance, you know, Arizona's defense and give Vance Joseph credit for this. Yeah. He shut down the running game. Yep. Completely. Um, That's a problem at, for Buffalo, isn't it? Because I mean, he did. They did a great job of it, but this seems to be a a, a, per, a, a continuing issue for them this yeah. season. Yeah. Well, and that's what teams want to do. The book is make make Allen beat you. Mm. You know, because you know the people will count on him making some bad throws to where where receivers are open. Um, you know, make him run the ball and beat you. Um, so you shut down the running game and Arizona did that. What Murray does, because you have to account for him, is make it a little bit easier for Arizona's running game. And they, you know, Drake and, and um, Edmonds mm. uh, ran really well. They had over 150 yards between them. Yep. And that opens, that opens things up for them. And yep. then you know when you've got um, when you've got one of the two or three best receivers in the league, and, and you know certainly one who you can just throw the ball in his direction, and and more often than not get a catch. Uh, it may, mm. it makes for a potent offense. I'm still not convinced Arizona is going to be up there, but you know at the moment, so you're not sure if the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs. Let's move on to our next game, and two teams. I want to ask the same question. Real shock on Sunday night football. I don't think anybody. Uh, unless you might, I know you're a soothsayer for these things. You might have given the Patriots more of a shot than most, but I don't think anyone saw this this result coming. Patriots upsetting the Ravens. They moved to four and five now, New England, with that win, and and have something vaguely resembling an offense going again. And the the Ravens trending the other way, given the division the Ravens are in as well. I want you to get your perspective initially on their playoff aspirations, but the Ravens and and the Patriots. Think the Ravens might be in some kind of trouble here? Do you think the Patriots might be able to scrap their way into the playoffs through the back door? Well, those are sort of two different questions. Um, Right now, the Ravens are three games off the division title and uh, Pittsburgh's already beaten them. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to get a tie break that way, Um, which means they're in the wild card hunt. And, and right now, wild card wise, I think there's five teams at six and three Mm -hmm. that are all contending for those three wild card places. So, you know, theoretically they should be able to stay in the wild card hunt and they will probably see, some of the competition off because Cleveland's in their division, um, you know, and if new England were to come up, they would be fighting Miami uh, also in their division. So, you know, there, there will be games to lose there. So they're probably controlling their own destiny for new England. It's going to be interesting because obviously they're playing still a, a tougher schedule because of where they finished last year, mm-hmm. but the, the games they have coming up, they could conceivably even the way they are, you know, you could figure two out of the four and then they go in, they need to do better than that. Three out of the four would be really um, what they want, but they go in the last three weeks of the season, they play Buffalo, the Jets in Miami. Right. 
Um, so, so they could go into the season knowing that if they win all three of those games, they could win the division, which is probably the only way they get into the playoffs. Mm. Um, you know, and a lot depends if Buffalo or Miami go on a run and, you know, put themselves in an unassailable position. But, but I think that that's a possibility. I'm not sure the game, this game convinces me the Patriots are of that quality at this point, but you know, a couple of good things from their point of view. Damian Harris outrushed the Ravens, <laughs> which which you wouldn't believe, you know, going into the game. Now, part of the problem for Baltimore was that Calais Campbell was out and then Brandon Williams got hurt early. Right. So, so they were down two defensive tackles from their rotation. On the other hand, you look at the players the Patriots are putting out there on defense. You know, their second leading tackler was Therese Hall. And if any of you know who Therese Hall is without my telling you, you know, um, it, it, prove, it, it, it proves my point. Um, they played a really good situational football game on an awful night where teams wanted to run the ball. And once again, Lamar Jackson just wasn't able to pass them mm. into a lead, which, you know, they really need to play with the lead. Yeah. Um, well, Jackson's 0-6 when he's trailing by 10 or more points. Yeah, and that, that's, that says it all, I think. That, that's, that is still their problem. Um, and we talked about Jacoby Myers. You know, you get one big play like that, and that can help change a game. And, and they also had... I think it was three fumbles on bad snaps mm. in the shotgun. So, you know, Dan Scuro, who's the center, is probably going to have to watch a lot of film uh, during the week. Uh, and that, that's a tough break. But um, Mike, what are you making of, of Cam Newton? Because he's had a, a, a topsy-turvy <laughs> season. And obviously COVID has, has been a significant reason for that. But where are, you, where are you at with him as a Patriot? Do you think there's a long-term future for him there? That's a good question because he really seems to be enjoying it based on his post-game press conferences. He was talking about how Bill Belichick had basically predicted everything that was going to happen in the game, um, <laughs> you know, or I guess the way it was going to the way it was going to play out. Um, I think. I, I think the funny part is both these teams have sort of the same problem, which is they don't have mm. they don't have a quarterback receiver connection. And in the Patriots case, you say, well, you know, their best receiver is Jacoby Myers, who's an undrafted guy in his second year and, you know, and was undrafted for a reason. The reason being he doesn't have much speed and, and therefore he's pretty easy to control if he's your number one receiver. But, but on, the, on the Ravens side, they've got guys who should, you know, who should be go-to type receivers. And in fact, they've got Hollywood Brown complaining that nobody throws him the ball enough. But is he and, a go-to type receiver? I mean, he's a great receiver, but is he... Well, he, you know, they threw to him six times. He only had two catches. Mm. Um, now, whether that's good de defense or whatever, I, I think the, the biggest difference I can see is that they don't have the tight end rotation that they did last year. Mm. Uh, and they should. Again, you can't figure out why because they only lost one of their tight ends and they, they replace him. But last year they were really, when they were passing and hurting teams, they were doing it with their tight ends more than anything else. And now it's Willie Sneed on mostly short, short catches. Um, you know, maybe they need another over-the-top guy. Maybe they need a possession receiver. Uh, yeah. Jarvis Landry type, yeah. you know. I totally um, agree. I think that's but, exactly, exactly what they need. Before we write off, or a lot of people seem to have written off Lamar Jackson, 24 of 34, 249 yards, two scores, and he rushed for 55 as well on 11. So it wasn't exactly an abysmal performance. You make a great point about the bad snaps and uh, the pressure that put on them. But of course, because of the standards he set last year, it is a regressive year so far for, for Lamar. Yeah. How, how much so, Mike? How, how a lot. I mean, the Ravens be? In my point of view, I thought the Ravens, they were my AFC pick at the start of the year mm. because I was assuming they would be better. Um, I thought they had a great draft. You know, I thought they were going to bring these pieces in and, and the team would get better. I think what we're seeing to an extent is the limitations of Greg Roman's offense. Right. Um, that it hasn't, it hasn't, um, it hasn't shifted at all since yep. last year. There's nothing new about it. There's nothing that that the teams have to prepare specially for, uh, and, and and that's a problem. Obviously, they Ingram's been out, so they haven't had you know all their running backs. But J.K. Dobbins was drafted, you know, for that possibility long-term replacement for marking Mark Ingram, mm. uh, and Gus Edwards obviously is still there. But but they're just not 
they're just not as efficient against teams that know how to play them. And I think as with Josh Allen, teams are daring Lamar Jackson to beat them through the air. Mm. And, and they haven't been able to do that. Um, and, you know, and that's a problem. And whether it's because, you know, you, I think back to Colin Kaepernick in, in San Francisco on, under Roman and, mm. and, um, Cap was similar in a way, and teams were, were saying, okay, beat us with your feet. Um, you know, let, let's make Kaepernick beat us by himself. Beat us with your feet, and then when you have to pass, we're going to cover, we're going to cover the receivers so well. You're not the passer who can do it that way. Let's move on to the Seahawks. Similar kinds of problems for them in the sense that they're – uh, quarterback is under pressure as well for different kinds of reasons, Mike, because the defense is so vanilla that it's putting so much weight on on Russell Wilson's shoulders. And when he comes up, or his receivers anyway, DK Metcalf in particular, comes up against a player like Jalen Ramsey who just shut Metcalf down in the game, then things get tricky. So trending the wrong way as well, Seattle losing three and four. How worried should they be? I think they have to worry a lot. Uh, and... It's before you even get to Russell Wilson, it's the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two are connected, right? Yeah. They, they couldn't stop the run, which, which hadn't been a problem up, in, up until this week. Um, and the Rams are not a great running team. Uh, and what happens if Andrew Whitworth is out for, you know, for a long time? Mm. I, I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily worry about um, Mal- Malcolm Brown or, or Daryl Henderson or um, – uh, Cam Akers, the rookie, um, you know, beating me the way you might worry about Todd Gurley. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're so bad defensively uh, that you, you know how, you know, the Rams have played them well, in, in fairness, the last few years. Um, if you think back, Zerline missed that field goal up mm-hmm. in Seattle, or the, I think they would have won all of the last five. Um you know, because I think they put the offensive pressure on um, Seattle and, 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 and play to the weaknesses. And although Jamal Adams had statistically a good game, I'm not sure his lack of coverage ability makes up for the fact that he gets, you know, a couple of tackles for loss or um, a sack or, or Do you think or on that, because I mean, they've got um, two more sacks. They seem to be, I mean, he seems to be their pass rush, right? I mean, Dunlop's getting involved a little bit, but it, 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 it's similar kind of thing. Are they relying too much on... It's too much coming from one person. Think, yeah, yeah. Think about think about when Seattle, when the Legion of Boom was in in right. you know in, in full blow. Adams is Cam Chancellor in that mm-hmm. defense. Did you ever see Cam Chancellor blitzing? Right. Rarely. Right. Um, he was there to, to be a fourth Stumble. linebacker yeah. if they read run, or to be a, a defensive back right. if they didn't. And I think that's where Adams doesn't. You know, and I was thinking he would myself but i think it's a combination of him his not being great at that role and that they can't generate pass rush otherwise yeah you know there there are there is no good leo player on that team in the where they really want to generate the pass rush from and they're not getting it from the inside rushers either so um you know it puts them in it puts them in a bind and if if they have to bring defensive backs up to to play the run and to rush the passer, it means that there's going to be receivers open because their secondary still isn't, they've got a couple of young guys with promise, but it still isn't a really uh, great secondary. So I, I think what happens then, the, the ideal game plan for Pete Carroll is to control the game on the ground, come up with a couple of turnovers with your defense. And as long as the game's close, Russell's going to win it in the fourth quarter for you. Mm-hmm. What's happening is Russell has to win it in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, the game all becomes all Russell Wilson, and that's that becomes too easy for the defense to control. Because so, so is the shift from run to, to pass or becoming more pass heavy because of the weapons and because of a conscious choice and we want to do our offense, uh, run our offense differently? Or was it because Carroll knew his defense had shortcomings and, and had to go that way? I don't think he knew it in advance, just like those of us who were watching the first few weeks of the season and saying, look, Russell Wilson's the MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really carrying that team. We, we weren't noticing at that point how bad the defense was, mm. you know, and it didn't become apparent until they, they started coming up with games they couldn't win with Russell Wilson. Um, I think his offensive line's got a few problems that, that it didn't have last year. Um, 
Alex Collins and, and um, DJ, DJ uh, Dallas, mm. um, who's playing on the wrong team. Uh, he should be down <laughs> in Texas. Um, you know, can't give them the kind of consistent running that Carson does. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what Pete wants in an offense is, you know, and he was lucky. Yeah, you know, everything was everything worked out for him on those great Seattle teams because he had Marshawn Lynch, who didn't need a great offensive line, right, to still gain his yardage. You know, he he. How many times did we see Marshawn Lynch get a two yard gain out of what should have been a two yard loss? You know, and <laughs> right. then and then you know that would go on, and then he'd brought, bust one for thirty yards or whatever, yeah. and that would that would keep them into in games. And they don't have those. They don't have those. Um, those elements anymore and in that division it's it's really fascinating because there is there are three teams who can be beaten if you catch them at the right at the right time and mm-hmm. and do the right things with them mm-hmm. and it's almost like a round robin you know um and you know and if the 49ers had Jimmy G back and, and a few of the defensive players back it would probably be a four-way a four-way dance although I you know I don't know what, whether the Niners can actually play a part in this for the rest of the year. Well, let's talk about them uh, going down 27-13 to the Saints. As expected, the Saints were, were double-digit favorites, but the, the big headline coming out of the game is, of course, Drew Brees' injury, which uh, appears to be ribs, could be out for a while. He's missed the, the second half, and there was a lot of buzz on social media when he was standing looking uh, clearly uh, unsettled on the sidelines, but suited up still and forlorn. And people were saying, has he been benched? Have they benched him? And there was this buzz, but, but it's injury. It's, it's a rib injury. So the, the odd cameo from Taysom Hill, but it was mainly Jameis uh, carrying the load. So there's my first question. If Breeze is out for a couple of weeks, is it de facto Jameis over, over Taysom Hill, do you think? And how much of a regression will that be when you compare last year to when Breeze went out and Teddy came in and, and handled things pretty capably? Yeah, I think Teddy's a lot better quarterback than than Jameis is, mm. um, in especially in a New New Orleans contact context. Um, I thought when when the penalty came for roughing the passer, I thought it was a very a very soft penalty, mm. and I thought that Breeze was actually trying to sell it mm. um, like a soccer player, um, but it apparently he was actually hurt. Um, and that you know, it wasn't he wasn't faking that that pain. Didn't Miles Jack to the best, uh, the best. <laughs> Miles Jack was a whole other story. Jack's <laughs> are, we have a winner. <laughs> Miles Jack was one of those great ones where where the the contact comes and you can see the thought process for like count of one, count of yeah. two, oh. and then he goes into his fake. And it, it was brilliant. I yeah. I asked on on social media last night, you know, which which team in the English Premier League should sign him uh, <laughs> as a kind of as a kind of penalty specialist, um, but but going back to that, so so assuming Breeze is hurt, I think you saw from Jameis kind of the way it would play out if if he starts, um, you know, because we know he can get the ball downfield, but he has very little awareness of the rush, mm. which has always been his problem, and that that brings turnovers. Um, you know, how many times did we see him um, get sacked and fumble because he didn't know or didn't sense that a guy was about to sack, sack him. So he, he doesn't do that three steps and the ball's gone kind of thing mm. that Breeze does. Now, mm. I'm sure they've been working with him on doing that. Um, I don't think Taysom Hill starts at quarterback. Um, I'm not sure if Taysom Hill's ever – I'm not sure if he's ever taken a snap as a T formation quarterback. Um, every time I can think of seeing him, he's been in the shotgun. Right. Um, his they, arms, not, his arms, not that bad. It's not. It wasn't an accurate arm in college, but it was a strong one. Yeah, they were. They're bringing him, uh, bringing him in a lot and sort of rotating backwards and forwards, right? Which is interesting. Often third downs, Taysom Hill was coming in. Do you think they'll? That's maybe a path that they'll look at is is, is mixing it up. A bit, um, just just like they do now. I'm not, I, you know, I just don't think there was some speculation that they that they saw him as a long term replacement for yeah. Breeze, but I I really don't think that that's going to be the case. Um, if they did, you would see him. You would see him in in the next couple of weeks playing as a T formation quarterback. Right. But I don't think that would help them vis a vis Jameis 
getting into the rhythm of a game. And, and the Saints are a rhythm team. Mm. And they're not going to be able to win by, by going with Alvin Kamara um, for everything. Yeah. You know, um, Cam- Cam- it's like Kamala Harris. You know, it's like, how do we pronounce it? Is it Kamara? Is it Cam- <laughs> you know, um, but, I got Kamara. I'll take Kamara, but I'll yeah, take Kamara. You know, um, I think he had another great game. Uh, yeah, yeah, and this, this week, obviously, the idea was we're going to throw the ball to him, um, and, and they did. Mm. Um, and um, Just I on think, that, Mike, and on the, just connecting sure. your, your points there with Jameis, they, they very, he was very cautious. They were very careful with what they were asking him to do. But all season long, we've seen this Saints offense bereft of a deep ball because Breeze doesn't have a deep ball. So do you think they might change the way they play, assuming he plays over the next few weeks and Breeze is out? Do you think they might mix up the playbook a little bit and play to his strengths? Although I take your point, that's also maybe his biggest weakness as no, well. No, I, I think that's a great point. And, and they have a couple of guys, particularly Deontay Harris, um, but Traquan Smith, if he's not hurt, because he got hurt in the game as well, um, who can go deep, you know, who can be deep threats. And I'm not sure what happened with Emmanuel Sanders because he made one catch, but that was about the only, it was the only mm. ball that was thrown to him. Um, but, you know, if, if Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are both in the game, then you've got targets and, and guys like, um, um, like Harris and, and Smith, you know, can get single coverage and beat it. Um, Harris especially so you know I think that's a really good point and and I wonder you would think that Sean Payton would be able to adjust his offense to do that Um, he's got a good offensive line Um, he can still run the ball Uh, and I I think if he opens things up for hair for Jameis he probably gets better result than if he tries to keep Jameis just throwing the short stuff Mm. Uh, it, it's a, it's a good question, and I, I do think they're the they're the best. I picked them at the start of the season to go to the Super Bowl, and I still mm-hmm. think they're the best team in the NFC. Um, and Bucks but, number two for you because they, of course, bounce back after that. I don't think so, um, don't think but it but it's hard it's hard to say. You know, there's uh, and this is what I said. That's why I picked them at the start of the season. There's there's kind of a gap, and and. Mm. You know, I didn't think Green Bay, what are they now? Seven and two. I didn't, last year they were 13 and three, but I didn't really rate them at 13 and three. You know, I, I thought this is a 10 and five, 10 and six, 11 and five team in a, in a division where they're not really challenged. Right. And, and that, that kind of still holds up for me. Um, so I, if they can get through this, you know, I, I, I think they're good. I, I don't know, the, the Bucks. That that game was less one-sided than the score looks mm. because Jones they, is, they Jones got a couple is, of scores yeah. in garbage time, especially that last one to to Gronk, which which helps Brady and Gronk's um, <laughs> touchdown. Bonus. Right? Bronx touchdown. bonus, definitely. Uh, yeah. the, um, but, you know. I, they went back to that, the ground game. That's what they left against the Saints, wasn't it? Yeah, was, and that 98-yard touchdown was kind of the, the turning point of the game. The, yeah. It kind of changed all that. And um, Matt Rule got a little bit too cute and went to the fake punt once too often. Mm. Um, I think, you know, everybody in the stadium could kind of, I don't know how many people there were in the stadium, but everybody could, could sort of sense that a fake punt was on the cars at that point. Cause they, they really needed to, to stay in the game. Um, and, and they're a funny team, Carol, Carolina, cause they can stay in the game, but they can't win them. Um, yeah. They don't know. And that's serious. That's a serious. No, 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 they they don't, they don't really have the weapons to win them. When McCaffrey was back last week, they did. Um, and if he had played in this game, I would have thought it might have been a bit different. But now Teddy might be out. Mm. And if Teddy's out, their season is pretty much gone because P.J. Walker is not going to be a um, is not going to be able to take him through the season. A viable backup. Uh, let's talk Finn's charges next, because it was a, a much anticipated game, of course, pitting two rookie quarterbacks, two first rounders head to head, of course. The trajectory is a little bit different for uh, uh, obvious reasons that two has played just a handful of games. Only as, as what was that? His third game as a starter, and he had a little cameo the one before that. And, and Herbert's been in uh, for longer to see more action, and, and already. Uh, Herbert built a, a pretty credible reputation as somebody that we think is going to stick around in this league and, and be a be a player for a good few years. What about Tua? Impressive start for him by all accounts, Mike. What have you made of his first few starts as a Dolphin? Well, it's interesting because they're on a five-game winning streak, right? Um, Miami. Mm-hmm. 
and Fitz won the first two of those games. Right. Um, I, I think he's been put in a good position because his defense has been amazing um, in all three of these wins. He's been playing with a lead, basically, and not, not sort of under pressure to create one himself. Right. Um, and he's been okay. Uh, he's shown some impressive impressive qualities uh i'm i'm not convinced that that um that he's the passer that that either um herbert or joe burrow is or are um and it would have been it would have been fascinating to see had he played his college season you know how the three of them would have stacked up uh at the end of the year and i keep pointing out that he's behind those guys, not only because he hasn't been playing since the start of the season, which in some ways is a benefit because he's been able to watch and learn, uh, but he also didn't have that year last year of college. It's so a great point. It's, it's, I, don't hear, I don't think I've heard that, that made. It's such, a, it's such an interesting point. But people say, well, you know, he hasn't played for a long time. So, But the, the reps he missed and the experience he missed from, from presumably the, the most significant year of your development as a college player, usually I guess is the final year, right? Uh, so, so there's there's that as well, and you've talked in the past, Mike, about quarterbacks that come in to the NFL without much, uh, without a big body of work, right? So yeah. I, I'm trying to think: was it Sanchez that had only played a relatively small number of games at USC before he came Just in? Just one season one as a season, starter, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an <laughs> underestimated thing. Who would you take if you were back in a franchise tomorrow and you could choose between the two? Who would you lean towards? Between the two of between the between Herbert or Tua? Herbert and Tua, yeah, probably Herbert. We'll throw Sanchez in there if you want. <laughs> I might, I, I might take Herbert over Joe Burrow, but that that would be a close one. Um, so you're impressed I, with Herbert, clearly. Yeah, I, I, but you know, here's your problem: you go to bad teams when you're a good quarterback, unless something strange happens. And I think Herbert has gone to a really bad situation um, for him with the Chargers. Uh, Burrow, I think, is not in such a bad situation with with Cincinnati. I think he's being better coached there. Um, and Tua, of course, is in a good situation in the sense that he's with a team that can actually win games. Winning team, yeah. Um, so that that makes you that makes you look better, and it puts less pressure on you. You know, both those guys. I think both Burrow and Herbert, and Herbert in particular already know they have to carry their team. Yes. You know, if, if their team's going to win, they have to carry it. I, th- I don't think Tua um, has to face that responsibility at this point uh, in his career, which gives him a big bonus, you know, and the Dolphins mm. went out and did it again, you know, mm. a special teams touchdown uh, in the first quarter, you know, putting, giving them a little bit of control over the game and, and the chargers are the chargers, you know, I, um, I think I, I turned on and, uh, you know, just at the moment or, or maybe it was when they switched. I thought I was in a time machine because for how many years have the Chargers made special teams mistakes <laughs> to, unbelievable. Lose, to lose games? I mean, it's, it's just, you know, different coaches, whatever. And, and I think yeah. in my mind, at least, um, <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, Lynn might well be out at the end of the season. I mean, he's getting a lot of the criticism. And it seems to me you think that's fair, Mike. Well, I'm I'm not sure it's fair or not, um, but I never see anything from them to suggest that they're they're kind of coping with the whatever adversities they're facing. Mm. Um, Interesting thing about that game was that there was only six seconds of time of possession between the two teams. Um, Miami won the battle with thirty minutes and six seconds. Well, so I guess I guess that's uh, twelve seconds between them, but. but yeah, it was it was very close in that sense. It was very close in yardage. Um, turnovers were equal. Um, first downs were were actually Chargers had a couple. I mean, if you looked at the stats, you would think this was a really close game, and it was, and you know, actually a really close game. But it didn't seem that way. It always mm. seemed like Miami was in control of it. And, um, Salvan Ahmed. Yeah, big yeah, picks up fantasy that? leagues all around the world. 85 <laughs> yards and a score. Uh, but he's got some good weapons around him. Parker, we knew about Gesicki's turning into a, a serious tight end, isn't he? And uh, he's good. Yeah, it's got some, got some uh, weapons to play with too. Uh, let's talk uh, about some of the other games before we wrap, Mike. The Steelers rolling onto 9-0 for, as we constantly reminded for the first time in franchise history. I just hear that all the time now whenever everyone's referred to the Steelers. Uh, Cruising, it was pretty straightforward stuff. I thought the Bengals might run them 
a little bit closer than they did, Mike. Were you surprised how, how dominant the Steelers were? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but the Steelers are doing this with their defense more than anything else. Right. Um, and uh, this was another game where the time of possession turned out to be remarkably close, considering how one-sided this game was. Um, and Ben's throwing up a lot of balls and getting some success, but Cincinnati stopped them running. You know, and even when they had the lead, they couldn't run the ball and kill clock. They had to keep mm. putting it up in the air. And I kept thinking, you know, something will go wrong and, and Cincinnati will make a play and, you know, and something will happen. But, but it didn't, um, obviously. And, yeah, I, I, like, I like the set of receivers, you know, Juju and Deontay um, and Claypool. Um, but, boy, you know, they get a lot of throws <laughs> to get to where they're going. Um, and Claypool's amazing in the sense that he's, he's they're really, Ben is looking for him in the red zone now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's become a red zone target, which um, is probably the first Canadian receiver who can say that. Unless, <laughs> unless you think Austin Collins. Ca- an occasional red zone target. target. Yeah. Ebron and, and Washington in there as well. <laughs> I mean, he's a, a lot about him. But that's a really key point you make that against a stronger team, maybe is that their weak link thing you think offensively? The, the, the ground game just isn't where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is partly down to you know, injury in the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's just stuff you have to deal with. But um, I think, yeah, when they, when, they play, when they play good teams with good secondaries, that, that's where they'll probably have more of a problem. Uh, and, you know, the thing, as with everybody, when you play Kansas City is can you win a shootout with them? Um, and they can win a shootout with most teams because their defense is so good. Yes. It gives them that built, built-in advantage. But, but uh, Kansas City for them, I think, is, would be a really, it's going to be a really fascinating game. And, you know, and, of course, right now you would say that that's the, the uh, AFC championship game because uh, no, other, no other contender sort of jumps out at you as being the, you know, uh, the possible second best team in the in that uh, conference. Yeah, you're, you're so right. There's a there's the, as you were pointing out earlier with records, there's a gaggle of teams that are buzzing around the wildcards. The Raiders in that mix, of course. And again, we we know their offense is good. Put up 37 against Denver. Were you impressed with with their defense against the Broncos? Was the the Trevor Lock attack just so? poor and lackluster that it, tell, it paints a slightly deceptive tale here it's yeah i mean that's that's hard that's that's one of those balanced things that it's hard to get i think Locke was playing hurt for much of that game um and mm. and that was yeah, really of, shaken up didn't he i mean yeah, was i was surprised the they put it back in mike i i was too because i i thought you know um ripping ripin, um whose father's canadian uh or uncle sorry his uncle is canadian um is his uncle mark ripping yeah yeah. Mm. Um, and um, I, I thought that they might put him in because Locke was going nowhere and it didn't, it didn't seem like that was a, a good idea. They, but they seem sold on him as their quarterback um, of the, the, near, the near future. Uh, Whatever that means in Denver, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, John Elway is the quarterback guru, right? Um, <laughs> I, I think his his choice of quarterbacks has been very strange over the years. Uh, but you I, I, the, Mike, you know that you you'll know because I think it was originally a stage play as well. But the the Bronx Tale movie that um that De Niro, I think De Niro's first film he directed. Do you, if you, yeah, watched it. Remember the character in it, Mumbles, who <laughs> just keeps jinxing <laughs> jinxing them whenever they're at the racetrack and whether they're playing rolling dice. He's such bad. Well, bad is, is that John Elway basically? The, the is that Mumbles, John Elway Mumbles of quarterback? Uh, hey, Mumbles. Yeah, that'd be a good nickname for him. You know, Mumbles. There you go. That's you my know, gift. you can just see the guys getting in the in the huddle. You know, it's like thirty seconds to go. They got the ball third and twelve on the on the thirty two yard line. You know, down by four. Okay, Mumbles, what's the play? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, yeah, I'm distracting I, you. I don't know. I mean, they're not the defensive team Vic Fangio would want them to be. Um, and if the offense plays badly, that puts too much pressure on their defense to to be good. Uh, the receivers have not have not turned Drew Locke into a force or or their offense into a force, and and basically they have a lot of trouble running the ball. Um, even with Melvin Gordon, you know, added added to the mix, which mm. a lot of people might have said you could have um, you could have predicted. 
Are the Raiders a team that can keep up with the Chiefs? Do you think if it gets to a, you know a playoff shootout? Well, God, if you can run the ball for two hundred yards, um, you know you should you should be able to uh, to keep up with most people. Carr had a it was a it was a funny day for Carr, um, and partly because they were they were mostly taking short stuff, um, which is what. Denver was wanted them to do, um, but Denver couldn't stop the run. And and I just keep thinking that there's this preconception in um, in John Gruden's mind about what Carr can and can't do. Mm. And and even when you see when you see them be effective with downfield passing and stuff like that, they always seem to revert back to Carr and a, and a shorter, less effective uh, passing offense. Mm. Two more for you, Mike. I know uh, we're going to wrap with you celebrating one of the game's greats who uh, we lost in the last week. Before we do, one more on the weekend and, and the NFC East, which I, I feel is a contractual obligation we talk about every show. <laughs> it's, I think it's fast becoming my favorite division in the history of, of, the, of the NFL. Uh, are the Giants now the favorites for the NFC East? <laughs> there Come is on. no favorite blue. In, in the NFC East. There's, did, did, did you see uh, or Scott Hansen at one point during Red Zone when they were, went to a highlight of, I think it was the, the um, uh, Giants-Washington game, yeah. said, NFC East, <laughs> catch the excitement. <laughs> um, but I, I just thought Philadelphia, all credit to the Giants' defense because they, they, basically, they basically stifled anything Philadelphia wanted to do. And Philadelphia really did look like they had no, no clue. And everybody was busy trying to figure out what, what abacus Doug Peterson was using to decide whether to go for two or, or not. And when he should have probably been figuring out a way to get the ball <laughs> to somebody who could actually do something with it. Um, uh, this was, I watched a lot of the game and then this to me was probably the worst game I've seen Carl Carlson Wentz um, play. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, you know, they were zero for nine on third down and third down's oh. not a great statistic, but when you're zero for nine, it, it does, it does tell you something about, about how badly your, your team is playing. And, and they were, they were sloppy. Mm. This was a team coming off a of bye week, you know, right. um, they, they, yeah, they should have, yeah, they should have been ready, you know, so and the Giants, to, to credit, the Giants played a good game. Um, mm -hmm. They got, you know, they got the score out of Daniel Jones early. Yeah. Um, Slayton, who's, I think, kind of underrated. You know, people are, are forgetting that Darius Slayton has been really good on really yeah. bad passing teams. Yeah. Um, he, made a, he made a couple of plays. And defensively, they just harried. Um, you know, they harried. Um, Philadelphia. I mean, when you're looking at turnovers, one of the things about turnovers is is um, Carson Wentz fumbled twice, but they didn't lose either fumble. Mm. But even though you don't lose it, it kind of halts your offense sure. because a play a play that should have gone somewhere um, didn't. You know, this was true of San Francisco too. They lost two fumbles, and New Orleans lost two fumbles. So you say, well, that's a wash. But the Saints actually fumbled five times, right. um, but fumble luck came through for them. Fumble luck, yeah, that's something I know, Dan. Um, incidentally, my, I want to give a shout out to Dai John, hey Dai, uh, who sent me a link to Joe Judge after the game in the presser. You might have seen this clip, and, and no. we'll push it out on uh, on our channel at the NC Show if you haven't already. Um, Joe Judge, somebody's mobile going off in the in the post match presser. Did you see that, Joe Judge? If Joe Judge is kicking off, whoever's got that, turn it off, turn it off. Because uh, <laughs> I would say we were discussing, of course, the uh, head coaches you would least like to get a halftime rollicking from. Rabel <laughs> was on that list. Joe Judge is straight into the top three of our power rankings there. That's yeah, terrifying I, I, head coaches. Yeah, I, I mean... I always wondered what happens in the Patriots locker room at halftime. If, if Bill just comes in and gives them the kind of sullen, yeah. I'm really disappointed, I'm disappointed kind of look. 100%. And everybody, everybody kind of like your parents, you know, everybody yeah. goes, Oh no. A hundred percent. He does that. It's the worst kind of hit. Uh, Mike, before we go, you were writing about, as I say, one of the games greats who, uh, who we lost uh, this week. Tell us more. Yeah, the golden boy, Paul Horning, um, Hall of Famer with the Green Bay Packers, um, Heisman Trophy winner at Notre Dame, the only Heisman Trophy winner to play on a losing team in college. In fact, wow. they went they went two and eight. Um, but he was a glamour. He was a glamour player, uh, a quarterback in college do everything. Uh, they played both ways in those days. So he was a pretty good defensive player. He was big. 
Um, he was fast at the college all-star game. He beat Abe Woodson, who was a really fast halfback who wound up playing defensive back in the NFL um, in a hundred yard dash. When he went to green Bay, he had a couple of really good years before Lombardi got there. And you could make the argument that Lombardi, although he was perfectly suited for Lombardi's system, he might have been a better player or at least one who racked up better numbers playing for somebody else. Um, his claim to fame is mostly that he held for a long time the NFL scoring record with 176 points. Um, but he was not that great a kicker, although very few kickers were that great a kicker in those days um, as a toe kicker. And many people look at him as being one of the least qualified guys in the NFL because for most of his Lombardi years, Jim Taylor was the number one running back. They ran a split tee what they used to call the pro set formation and Lombardi's signature play was the power sweep and the beauty of Paul Horning. And I think why he liked Paul Horning so much was that Horning at, at sort of six, two and 200 could block mm. and he could block for Jim Taylor and Jim Taylor had five straight thousand yard rushing seasons when Horning didn't, but Horning was blocking for him most of that time. Um, he also had a year's suspension when he and Alex Karras were caught, um, gambling on football games they, they were hanging out with gamblers and and horning was from lexington kentucky and he actually promised pete roselle as part of his reinstatement that he wouldn't go to the kentucky derby <laughs> which, which was which was a real great law, loss for him he his yeah. his peak career kind of ended right after that and the year they of super bowl one which was his last year with the packers um he had a a pinched nerve in his, in his neck, which limited his play. He didn't actually play in Super Bowl one. So I think even based on his previous year's performance, if he'd been able to do that for a couple of years with Green Bay in the Super Bowl era, he would probably not get the not get the criticism he gets from. I'm not going to say stat heads because you can make, I don't think the argument depends on statistics, but who I compare him to is more like guys like Frank Gifford, mm. um, who was a quarterback in college, uh, Tom Maddy, who was a quarterback in college and, and became halfbacks in the NFL. And oddly enough, although Gifford was like a four time all pro and Horning was only once Gifford's when I looked it up on pro football reference, Gifford's, career value was much less than Hornings and both of them was much less than Tom Maddy. And nobody would put Tom Maddy in the same category with those two guys. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think Hornings in there because he was part of those pack Packer teams and he was glamorous, just like Gifford is in the hall of fame because he was part of those New York giant teams that were really good in the late fifties and early sixties. And he was glamorous mm. and, and we don't have that many glamorous guys in football anymore. So, you know, when, when you, Think about the golden boy, Paul Herning. I'm not going to begrudge him a place in the Hall of Fame because, you know, he, he was sort of, in a sense, ahead of his time as being a, a personality within a, a, a rather, I wouldn't say dull, but, but a rather kind of work lunch bucket kind of game. Mm. He, was, he was kind of a superstar personality before Joe Namath ever showed up. Yeah, I was going to say doing, uh, yeah, echoing Namath. Uh, I'll give the final line to the New York Times ever wrote the obit for him saying, uh, all the while, he pursued a robust li nightlife of women and drink that seemed to have little effect on his on-field performance. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that year, off, yeah, that year <laughs> off probably gave him a lot of time to get out of shape um, when you think about it. But yeah, um, I guess when you partied in those days... <laughs> You know, you see these pictures of athletes out at clubs like in, in New York and the guys would go to Toot Shores or whatever. And, and, and they're there with, with, you know, good looking 50s women, you know, with, with the hairdos, the, mm. the, the spray, sprayed hair and all that kind of stuff. And they're smoking and, and in front of everybody is, you know, are like highball glasses <laughs> and, and <laughs> bottles of whiskey on the table, you know. Yeah. And it was like there was no kind of like a pre-dinner pre drink and a post-dinner drink. You just drank. <laughs> those were the good old days <laughs> oh, amen Carlson great to catch up with you bud um, patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMT is where our listeners can find yeah, out I'll be doing I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll do a, I'll write something on Horning and put it up before next Friday but if not it'll be in Friday's column um, great. Where, we, where I dissect the week gone by and the week to come get involved with that uh, patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMTE good to see you man look after yourself check in soon you too 
fantastic stuff from the big man uh, at Carlson Sports is how you follow him on Twitter and as we said his Patreon column Mike Carlson FMTE uh, for all his deep dive stylings he'll be back on the show very soon you can count on that we'll be back with Kimberly Martin on Thursday to get you set but week 11, don't forget the Edge Rush show dropping as well. Make sure if you haven't already, you subscribe wherever you listen to us at the NC Show for all your social media needs. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Shout out to the crew over there. We'll be back Thursday. Look forward to it. Bye for now. Podcast Network.